last night I explained about the purification which happens automatically through real concentration how the five factors of the meditative absorptions counteract our five hindrances however we can't wait for that can we until we get concentrated enough to counteract our hindrances and also even if we do get concentrated enough in the meditation it only lasts for the time of the meditation so we have to support that and strengthen that with our daily practice in daily life and the Buddha said there are only four kinds of emotions which are worth having in Pali they're called the four Brahma Viharas which means the abodes of the gods or the divine abodes there we can call them the four supreme emotions and they are loving kindness compassion sympathetic joy and equanimity the first one in Pali is metta in Sanskrit Maitri which is a word which has a certain meaning and context we don't have a word for that the word loving-kindness cannot be found in any dictionary it's got a hyphen in the middle it doesn't exist we've made it up because we don't have a translation for metta and the word loving-kindness not being a word that we use in our daily language doesn't really have the strength that it should have to give us an idea what is meant give us a feeling behind the word if we use the word love we certainly get a feeling behind the word the kind of love that we usually uh, mean and that we are accustomed to it's not metta what we're accustomed to is love between two people or maybe if there's a family three or four and sometimes it could be the love of an ideal or the love for the country something which has a counterpart Metta doesn't have that at all. Metta is nothing but quality of the heart. It doesn't have to be anybody or anything there. Now the love that we know is dependent. It's dependent upon somebody being there whom we can love, whom we find is lovable. And most of the time it's also dependent upon the fact that this person or persons love us back 
since we have very little jurisdiction, if any, over that, this is a situation fraught with difficulties. Even should such a person be there that loves us back, we already know, even if we don't like to admit it, since everything is impermanent, particularly feelings, emotions, that too has the aspect of not remaining with us. So all the time that even the um, most ideal situation may be present, where there is somebody whom we can love and who even loves us back, we have already the underlying fear that this isn't going to remain so, because we are at least have enough insight that this is the case with everything that we have ever encountered. And whether we admit it or not, subconsciously that fear is there. Fear is connected with hate, not with love. And it doesn't mean that we now hate that person. It means that we hate the idea of loss. And since this particular ingredient is also in our love it's neither pure nor satisfying it may be passionate it may be pleasurable but it is not fulfilling because it isn't hasn't got the purity of it it also has the syndrome of dependency we're dependent upon the fact that there's somebody else there and if that person should disappear, we already think, before the person has disappeared, that love will disappear. It's an absurd concept, because love is a quality of the heart, has nothing to do with another person. And besides, there are something like five billion people on this planet, and having one of those disappear should make very little difference. In fact, none whatsoever. We don't only have this fear syndrome embedded, but we also have this idea that we want to be loved. And if that is possible, then we may be able to love back. However, wanting to be loved is another absurd idea because that's somebody else's quality of the heart and not our own. The only thing that we should really want to do is to love. And finding somebody who is really lovable seems to be very difficult. Quite rightly so, because only the Arahant, the fully enlightened one, is fully lovable. And those people usually are not into relationships. <laughs> <laughs> so to find somebody totally lovable is an impossibility. And since we have this ideal idea in our mind, we go around discouraged and maybe even despondent and certainly disappointed. But the disappointment comes 
from the wrong expectation. We have a totally wrong concept of what people are like. So the first thing to do naturally is to get to know oneself. And when we get to know ourselves, we realize that we are also not totally lovable. And the reason we would like somebody to love us, nevertheless, would be that we get this confirmation that maybe we made a mistake, maybe we are really lovable. Although we ourselves can't find it, but maybe the other person can. <laughs> none of that is satisfying, fulfilling, none of it actually has any sense of purification in it. Certainly none of it is spiritual. Everything of that nature is bound up with the worldly marketplace where things are worth something, where people are worth something, whatever it may be. They may be worth uh, money, they may be worth love, they may be worth that. But that is not at all what the purification on the spiritual path is all about. When we have seen in ourselves that there are difficulties, that we have the lovable uh, characteristics and also the non-lovable ones, then we can start accepting ourselves and then we can start accepting others. And when we can start this acceptance, we can also start loving ourselves. Loving oneself doesn't mean indulging oneself. Loving oneself means to have an attitude towards oneself like a mother. A mother is quite capable of loving a child that does all sorts of terrible things because the child just hasn't grown up yet. Well, this is what the Buddha said about us, that we haven't grown up yet. He compared us to children that are playing in a house on fire and haven't got the sense to jump out because we're so attached to our toys. Well, everybody's got their own toys, haven't we? and they get better and uh, more intricate by the year. But uh, we don't want to get out of this burning house because we haven't quite matured yet. But we also have a certain wisdom. And the love which we need to extend towards ourselves is the kind of love which is tinged with that wisdom where we can see the difficulties that the childish or child, sorry, childlike person in us has, when the mother can help. And we have to do that all to, for ourselves. We can't wait now that somebody else will tell us what to do. We have sufficient wisdom to be able to see that. Now that kind of love towards ourselves, that will bring the result of accepting, of growing, of being not dependent upon the worth of ourselves, but strictly looking at ourselves with loving and a caring attitude. Once we have been able to manage that, we will also see that the quality of the heart is that what we want to learn, not whether other people are lovable. Now, when we have a situation where there is um, one or two people, where we have a feeling of love, that can be used as a seedbed. 
at least we know what it feels like. But that isn't metta. The far enemy of love is of, of metta is hate, obviously. But the near enemy is attachment. And when we have one or two people whom we care for and have that warmth within for those people, we are obviously attached. And when we are attached to someone, then we are stuck. We can't move. If I get attached to this pillow here, I won't be able to go to bed tonight. I can't move. So if I'm attached in my heart to just one or two people, I can't expand. I can't um, open the heart wider. So we need to look at the situation which we have with one or two people as a, as a learning situation for this faculty of love. As we have that learning situation, then we know how we can be towards other people and then try to let go of the wanting to keep. The wanting to keep. It's an impossibility. All that is mindy and delightful will change and vanish. Feelings change. One's own feelings, other people's feelings. One's people change. Thought processes change. Everything changes. So wanting to keep is um, a certain invitation to disaster. But wanting to love, that is a purification. And what it means is that we can actually see in ourselves very often when we don't love. I think it would not be exaggerated to say that out of a uh, 24 hours in a day, or let's say 17 hours of being awake, most of the hours are being spent not loving, just trying to cope, maybe, or worse, disliking, rejecting, resenting, feeling stressed, tense, worried, fearful. That is where we have our learning situation. The whole of our life is an adult education class. And if we see it as that, we have the right slant on it. If we think that this life that we have is meant to give us pleasure, we've got the wrong idea. It won't work. Certainly we're going to have pleasure at some times, but is pleasure really fulfilling? But when we look at it as our growing up period, as the potential for complete maturing, then when things don't work the way we want them to work, that's no tragedy. That's nothing to worry about. It's nothing but a test. And if we don't pass it, we get the same one 
over and over again until finally we've learned our lesson. And I'm sure that many can see in their own lives having had the same situation happen over and over until finally it dawns on us I've got to do this differently. It doesn't work. And when we do that, then we've passed that test and we're ready for the next one. The purification of the heart is a spiritual endeavor and we have every opportunity to do that in daily living. All of us have confrontations. All of us very often don't get what we want or get what we don't want. And our reactions are practically pre-programmed. Press a button and the same printout. Totally unnecessary. After a while it becomes boring. We've had that same reaction so many times. And we know it isn't what we really want. So it is our great privilege as human beings that we can work on our own reactions. And when we have an idea that we are not alone on this planet <clears throat> or in this city or in this country, but that we are surrounded by companions. They are with us at this time in our life. They are at the same time in a life than we are, as we are. They are also struggling to have happiness and peace. And if in our meditation we can ever get a, a moment where this is proven, that there is a totality of experience and not an individuality, then we can see quite clearly that if we don't lo love others, we don't love ourselves either. There is really no separation. It's an optical illusion. It looks as if there were 40 or so different people sitting here all little heaps, all separate. But that's an optical illusion because we know from our scientists and we know from our own um, learning experience that there is not a single solid building block in the whole of the universe. All there is are energy particles that come together and fall apart and they do it so quickly that they often give the appearance of solidity. That's not out there, that's us. And when we have an inkling of that through maybe our meditation practice or through our understanding then we can see that we're all together in this. There isn't just me and the rest of the world. 
long as we have that feeling of just me and the rest of the world, we feel threatened. Because obviously, one little me and the rest of the world, that's uh, overpowering. It's threatening in many aspects. It's threatening in being able to have actually a support system for this elusive ego which constantly needs to have something that makes it real because it isn't real. So it needs a constant support system. It needs someone to say that we are all right, we're fine, we're um, clever, we're beautiful, we're um, uh, spiritual. We need something that tells us we're okay. This is the reason why it's so difficult to become concentrated in meditation. When we stop thinking, there's nobody there to tell us that we're really here. Only when we take a step and say, it's okay not to be here while we're meditating. It's perfectly all right. We don't have to have that support system at that time. Then we can actually let go. And when we let go, we can let the mind fall into the breath. We don't have to start telling ourselves stories. But this goes on in daily life all the time. We have this separation idea that each one is somebody separate and needs the support of others, or if we don't get it, we feel threatened, we are afraid to be annihilated, not particularly maybe physically, although that fear is there too, but annihilated emotionally. So we are constantly on the defensive. If somebody isn't totally supportive, the defense uh, armor goes up. What we see in ourselves is exactly that, what happens in the world around us. It is, can be compared to the border in a country. We come to the border in a country, we have to show our credentials, passports, and we have to prove that we're not going to be a burden to the government, and then they let us in. We do exactly that with our heart. Everybody whom we let in has to show their credentials, and they also have to prove that they're not going to be a burden to us. And then we might let them in. The, what we see in the world hasn't been invented by somebody else. It's nothing but a mirror image of what we do. And if we deplore the fact that there is no peace in the world, that there's constantly something happening which, uh, where people are killed, and maimed and terrorized and wherever we look there's something like that happening it's because we haven't got that kind of peace in our heart where we can actually love living beings totally independent of who they are whether they're lovable or not whether they want us to love them whether they're going to love back totally independent of any outer condition because we haven't practiced that because we haven't learned that that's why we see in the world the 
terror and the war <clears throat> that is happening over and over again. Obviously, not every person will do this, will try to work on the purification of the heart. But if we have any interest in making this planet of ours more peaceful, where can we start? It's not with a protest march, march or with writing things on walls or stickers on cars. None of that is going to bring peace to this world. But one person, one single person who becomes loving and peaceful adds to love and peace in this world. And if there's more than one, that addition is greater. But it isn't lip service. It's got to be a feeling. And only when it becomes a feeling, then it can generate outward to others because we feel what other people are on about. We can feel that. Now, that is work. That is a type of inner expenditure of energy which is constantly, where we're constantly on the alert when something negative enters the mind so that we can change it into a warmth of the heart towards another person. It doesn't mean that we're going to lose all our discrimination. It doesn't mean that we no longer know what's right and what's wrong. That would be disastrous. But it means that we don't have to hate that what is wrong. It means that we understand the difficulties and that we are again and again practicing and that is real practice to love that and those whom we find particularly unlovable. It's too easy to love someone who has all the qualities and the credentials that are our uh, prerequisite for entry. That's too easy. We have to start opening up these barriers and the borders, the limitations of our heart. Then it becomes a spiritual path and spiritual practice in everyday life doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter what we do. It has no bearing on any outer condition. It is strictly an inner condition. And when we are no longer dependent upon some particular person to be there in order to feel love, we also have a feeling of inner strength because we have become independent we have that independence of our own choices. We do not have to wait for someone to be there. We are also can, with, when we become more and more aware 
of how we are reacting. We will see that we are often reacting negatively towards small and unimportant matters. Now that too needs to be watched. Maybe someone grabs our parking space or someone pulls ahead right in front of us when driving or we're waiting to be served in a shop and the fellow comes in brand new and gets served first. These are totally unimportant and minor matters and yet our reaction can be quite negative to that. We didn't get what we wanted. And because we think that we are the center of the universe, although it sounds absurd, we still think that and feel that, we are um, on the defensive or even sometimes on the uh, attack. We might even become aggressive about it. That needs to be watched too because the more negativities the mind and the heart have, the more of a deep rut is made into that, uh, into that direction. It's like making scratches into a beautiful jewel which are very hard to repair. So we should never allow our heart to become either dirtied or scratched by our reactions. But watch, be watchful for it and realize that we're only hurting ourselves. We're hurting nobody else except ourselves. The Buddha said that the one who becomes angry it's like one who's picking up hot coals with bare hands and trying to throw them at the other person. Who gets burned first? We may have good enough aim to hit the other person, but then we're already making bad karma again. There is no way we can win with anger, rejection, resentment, envy, jealousy. There's, there's, it's a no-win situation. But it's a no-lose situation if we educate our heart to loving without cause, without condition. There need be no causes. The only reason for loving is to have that quality in one's heart. Now, when we go to school and university, we learn logical, analytical thinking. And it is a useful quality. And we have to learn it, otherwise we can't cope with the uh, curriculum. Well, by the same token, we have to learn the quality of the heart, the love. Otherwise, we can't cope with this curriculum either. There are too many difficulties in one's life when one starts being negative. Every time we have a negativity, we have a sort of an idea that we're justified to have that because somebody did something terrible. 
because somebody said something terrible, because people don't understand what they should do, and so forth. But that justification doesn't help the quality of our heart. It's nothing but trying to be right. We can see what's wrong. We can even try to change what's wrong if we have already changed ourselves. But to hate it or dislike it is foolishness. When we have learned to be loving in a difficult situation, the uh, self-confidence which arises from that gives us the assurance that we can do that again. And then we are no longer threatened by other people because we know that no matter what happens, we'll be able to respond lovingly. We're not going to respond angrily because we've done it several times. When a person is unpleasant, abusive, angry with us, and we are tempted to respond in kind, we need time, just a little time, not immediate instinctive reaction, to think for a moment whether that person has ever said or done anything nice and immediately change our attitude from the angry uh, rejoinder to remembering the good things about that person. And another thing we can always know is that if anyone is unpleasant, they're having dukkha. So why should we add to their dukkha? Why not have compassion for their dukkha? Nobody who's happy is going to be unpleasant. How could they? So anyone that's unpleasant is doing so because they're unhappy. So compassion can arise for that. Our, our impulsive reactions are the ones that bring us grief. When we practice mindfulness in watching ourselves, we give ourselves time. We have like a brake on a car. We slow down. And as we slow down, we then can change our direction. Changing the direction means that we do not get into the danger of, first of all, making a rut of unwholesomeness in heart and mind, which it's very difficult to get out of again. We don't get into the danger of making bad karma. We don't get into the danger of making ourselves and others unhappy. The quality of the heart compared to the quality of the mind <clears throat> needs just as much practice and instruction as we get when we study. But nobody thinks of that. 
we think love is something that comes to us when there is somebody there that happens to be the right person. If we wait for that, we might go through life without loving. And also, we are totally dependent. But if we realize that love is nothing but the ability of our own heart to respond with warmth and care, then we know that we can cultivate that in ourselves. And as we cultivate that, we have a chance to do that in two ways. We can do it through the meditation practice, of loving-kindness meditation, which is nothing but a method. And a method only becomes useful when it has served its purpose. So this is a method to remind us. But in daily life, we can go out of our way to do something for others. Giving time, listening to others, is an, an action of love. Giving presents, as small, small ones, asking about their health, caring for their well-being, being interested. It generates the warmth in the heart, particularly when we see that we have made someone else happy. Yet we mustn't depend on that. But when we see that, we can realize how much benefit we ourselves have had. And another benefit which we have is when we think of someone else, we cannot possibly think of our own problems. So at that time, we haven't got a single problem. So the more we cultivate that in our heart, the easier life is. It's smoother, it flows, it's harmonious. No obstacles. It's like the oil in the machinery. Everything works nicely. The negativities eventually drop away. And as they drop away, the heart becomes pure. There are two ways of liberation. Chetta vimutti and panya vimutti. Vimutti means liberation. Liberation of through the heart liberation through wisdom. Either way can lead us to complete freedom from all dukkha. The liberation of the heart leads through cultivating love, independent and unconditioned, and also through the concentration in the meditative absorptions. The uh, wisdom, liberation through wisdom, leads through the inside path. However, when the final goal has been reached, both have to come together. When one has wisdom, one will also have the wisdom to have the pure heart. When one has a pure heart, one also has the wisdom. When our emotions are negative or not only negative but passionate, 
might be quite positive but passionate. We can see nothing but the emotion. Again, it's like ocean waves which drown us. So, specifically, when they are so passionate either in wanting or in rejecting that we can't think of anything else. We certainly can't meditate then and we're certainly totally overrun by that wanting. So the purification of our emotions brings clarification of thought. It's only when the emotion has calmed down and has become unconditional love, a love which is not attached but only giving, that the thought process can be clear because nothing can happen to that love. It cannot be rejected, it cannot be lost because it's only quality of the heart. It doesn't hang on to anyone or anything. With that comes the clarification of our thought process. So with the purification of that, the wisdom also arises. This is a practice for everyday life. Everyday life is the best working ground for that. The more people we deal with, the more opportunities we have to love them or not. I'll give you some time now to ask some questions if you like. Well, you did already. Um, what sort of sensation? Mm. Well, you see, you already noted it because otherwise you wouldn't be, know that it's right. there. But then at that point, do I just continue walking um, and, and, and bring more energy to the attention of, of walking and, and push that, you know, push that feeling into the background by bringing more energy into the walking? No, you uh, know you note it because it came up. You have noted it, and then you put your full attention on the walking again, so that that particular emotion is then not in your consciousness. Noting it, and then dropping it. That is the purification process. Hmm. Yes. If it's very strong, it will, be, it will be a little difficult to just drop it, but that is exactly the learning situation we have in the meditation. See, when we watch the breath and thoughts keep coming, we have to drop them to get back to the breath, right? When we have in daily life, when 
we get a, a, some feeling that arises which will bring rise to an unwholesome reaction, we can drop that and get back to the wholesome reaction. So the dropping of whatever arises and not reacting to it is the learning situation. Now, when you were watching this um, feeling and just watching it but not becoming sad, did you become sad with it or did you just watch it? Well, then you just, if you can't just drop it, you stay with it until it dissipates by itself. But if you can drop it, then you can shorten that process and go back to the meditation. Either way. Okay, what else? Yes. No, the Arahant, the Enlightened One. Enlightened. Yeah. I have a, a question that how do you good work on yourself very uh, consciously through this practice and you know, work on a relationship with any kind? I, mean, I, I guess my question is in some ways it would seem like it would be easier to be, be outside of a relationship learning experience for oneself and um, if one possibly that learning experience has not been uh, uh, completed yet so one has to finish with that learning experience of the relationship first and complete that it's um, certainly being, uh, being on one's own um, one has more possibilities to go out with one's heart to other people because one doesn't have the uh, doesn't have the dependency but one should be able to direct the relationship so uh, that both parties understand that it is a learning experience for uh, exp expanding one's heart and going out to more people that's a very important aspect of a relationship and uh, it would also improve the relationship I think so if one can see a relationship more in a universal aspect than in an individual aspect it may be very helpful okay yeah <coughs> welcome You're not supposed to have them. Yeah.
In other words, what to do with the negative feelings, huh? Okay. Because it was always what I did and what didn't serve me. Mm. I tried to be nice. Well, that's a problem. Well, that was the problem. <clears throat> that on the surface, uh, you tried to comply with the messages you were given that you're supposed to be nice and loving, but underneath, that didn't happen. So what we are looking at here is that the Buddha taught neither suppression nor expression of the negativities. He taught recognition, no blame, change. So it's a recognition of the feeling. You acknowledge it. It's there. If you don't acknowledge the feeling, there's nothing you can do with it. It has to be acknowledged. Then, when one has acknowledged it and it's negative, one doesn't start blaming oneself. Because if one blames oneself, one, had, one has two negativities instead of one. One already has one negativity, and then the blame on top of that makes it worse. One accepts it, that it's there, and then one goes about changing it. Now, sometimes, when it isn't a very deep-rooted affair, it's possible to change it right then and there while one is overrun by the feeling. However, very often it needs a little time. One has to first let this feeling run its course, like the sadness, grief feeling had to run its course and dissipate. And then, one, if it is concerned with another person, then one can change. And sometimes one has to change that many times before the real love for a person, if it's a difficult situation, arises. But the more one has this no obstacles, there's nobody in, in, in one's life whom one really um, dislikes. If there's nobody in one's life whom one really has a particularly strong reaction to, the easier it all becomes because it has to be a general feeling of love not just picking out the few but general so it's recognition no blame change yes Yes. Well, the other person might even feel that you are um, not loving because you're not reacting. That also happens. They would prefer a negative reaction to no reaction. That's not uncommon. So what the only thing to do is to strengthen again and again one's feelings of love and um, 
compassion and helpfulness so that the other person can actually feel that. We make it so strong that there's no doubt about it. And they, then the reactions are... We are not to have n- a non-reaction. The reactions that we are, uh, are helpful are those that are positive rather than negative. And, uh, of course, sometimes it does appear uh, as, if one is, um, as if one is acting in a superior way. But one has to check out in oneself whether one actually feels superior or not. If one doesn't... That's what I was saying, is sometimes I actually do feel superior. Uh, I'm wondering about working that, that <laughs> Well, when one actually feels superior, then a very good idea is to remember one's own uh, difficulties (laughs) and all the the ones that are still arising and also to remember one's own um, impermanence, how one isn't really, one is neither superior nor inferior. It's all just a process that's going on. So maybe the easiest is to remember one's own difficulties. Hmm. Anything else? Anything? Please put the attention on the breath for just a moment. Now think of yourself as your own mother and child. The mother that loves the child no matter how many difficulties there are is accepting, caring and concerned and all embracing. Now think of yourself as the mother of the person nearest you in this hall and fill that person with your care, concern, acceptance and embrace that person with motherly love. Now think of yourself as the mother of everyone here, a big family. Being full of care and concern and acceptance for everyone, 
reaching out to everyone with love and compassion. Now think of yourself as the mother of your own parents. Reverse the role. Accept them. Realize their difficulties. Fill them with your care, your concern for their well-being, with helpfulness, and embrace them with all-embracing love. Think of those people who are nearest and dearest to you. Be their mother. Surround them with that all-embracing love of a mother and fill them with your care and concern. Think of yourself as the mother of all your good friends. Fill them with your love. Accept them totally. Be grateful for their presence. Now think of anyone whom you find difficult to love and think of yourself as that person's mother 
Children are often difficult. Mothers love just the same. Open your heart to that person. Forgive and forget. Accept him or her. Remember, everyone has difficulties. And embrace that person with motherly love. Now think of people everywhere whom you may have seen, met, whom you may know or not know. Open your heart wider and wider so that this love of a mother can reach out further and further, including more and more people whom you allow to come into your heart. Think of people whom you meet sometimes near here, those further away, and then those you've never met. And let this warmth and love flow out to them. Allow them to be part of your heart and part of your life, which they are. Now put your attention back on yourself and feel the softness and the gentleness that a mother feels for her child. Feel that within.
May beings everywhere have love and peace in their hearts.